Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, and reading from verses 14 to verses 20. I want to share um, something that happened to me uh, when I was 16, something that was a, a pinnacle point that, that d- did something to me. It changed me because until that point, I think that I'd been progressing in the things of God in a, in a, in a family, in a religious family. I was brought up a, a Christian at age eight. I gave my life to Christ and had a Billy Graham crusade with my grandma, uh, who passed away at 93, and, and I kind of honored to have went on the football field and, and responded to God at age eight. But between age eight to 16, it was like mountains and valleys. So I'd have these great experiences with God. How many people have had a great experience with God? You know, I've had great experiences over the years. And, you know, what they teach you in Bible school is not just to rely on the experience, but to rely on the Word, to, to rely on what the Word of God says. But we get these experiences. And I remember having a conversation with my mom in the car on the way back from a Christian camp. I think it was faith camp, Kingdom Faith Camp. And we went there every year uh, as a family. Uh, and I was buzzing from these camps, actually. They had amazing worship. I mean, electric guitars. The kids were jumping up and down. It was awesome. I mean, I'd never seen anything like it, except when you go back to church, church was the usual boring, boring sermon, kind of okay worship with a guy, you know, playing guitar, uh, and most of my life in church was literally trying to pass the time, sitting at the floor, writing on a, on a pad, trying to waste the time. The other, the other thing I'll try to do is count the letters on the back of the screen. I've already counted them pretty much all the time. I'll look at the clock to see when it was actually going to finish at 7.30, uh, and because I'd not had that experience of God. So uh, church for me was just going on a Sunday and nothing really happened to me. There wasn't a fire or a desire, a desire for God. So I asked my mom a question and said, you know, how come I'm fired up at camp? How come I'm fired up? I, 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 don't, I can't explain. I'm just a kid, but I'm fired up. I'm passionate. But how come church is not that way? How come church is not that way? And she said, well, you know, that's how it is. That, that's how it is. You know, uh, and revival or a move of God, is here for one reason, and that's to change the how it is. That's how it is. It's just usual. God doesn't move. You know, or, oh, he moves a little bit. Uh, he's got the cap on. Uh, but you know what? Go away for a week and experience God, because when you get back, you're not going to experience God. But that does something to me. That creates a hunger in me and a desire to say, hey, I want to see things change. How many people want to see things change? And in Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, you, you read here, verses 14, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues. They will take up the serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. So here's Jesus. Jesus turns up to the disciples after the resurrection. He's resurrected. This is before he's went to heaven. In verse 19, you see he's ascending to heaven to the right hand of God. And suddenly he turns up and he rebukes the unbelievers. He said, you know, stop being immature. Stop being unbelieving. And he gives them this amazing commission and says, listen, go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, I've preached this before. Uh, I mentioned it before, and we've had trainings on evangelism and things like that. But if you look at chapters, uh, verses 1 to verses 13, you'll read why they were unbelieving. Uh, and, and sometimes we need to read deeper into the text. Here, they, they lost Jesus. They lost a friend. I don't know if anyone's lost a friend. So they were grieving. They were mourning. Not only that, but for three and a half years, they were with Christ. So if you spent three and a half years, um, I remember people from school who I spent 18 years with. I'm still quite close to them. You know, you can imagine you lose them and you go to their funeral, you're still going to feel that grief. So they were grief stricken. Uh, they, they, they had this encounter. I mean, in verses 1 to 8, you see people turn up at the tomb and they have this experience with an angel. Well, Colin was sharing recently that we believe in this new move, there's going to be manifestations of angels, whether we actually see them appear or somebody has an open vision. But we believe there's going to be a manifestation of that. There has been in times past where people in KT have seen angels and, and actually prophetically spoken 
through angels. Uh, they had this experience with an angel, and the angel told them, go and tell Peter, uh, and go and tell the disciples that, it, that, that he's risen from the dead. And the Bible says in verses 8, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They said nothing to anyone. I think when I read that earlier, um, before the resurrection Sunday, I thought, my God, they did nothing. And sometimes in our lives, we have all these great experiences, but we can reach a point in our life where we do nothing again. We do nothing. We've seen angels. We've seen the fire. We've seen the rain. We fell on the ground. We got back up. We cried the tears. We've wept. We've repented every day. We've done, we've done mission after mission after mission. We saw thousands of people saved. But when we hear the call to go again to preach the gospel, we do nothing. When we hear the call again to say, hey, go and tell the disciples that he's resurrected. There's a new move of God. We do nothing. And it seems to me that the, there's reasons why we do nothing. They were grieving. They were going through stuff. They were unbelieving. They had a hard heart. Then he revealed himself to Mary Madeline, and she went and told the disciples, but they did not believe. And then he revealed himself uh, in these two verses, 12 and 13, to two other people. Looks like the road to Emmaus. He revealed himself as he walked on the road with them, and then they went and told the rest, but they did not believe. I believe that God has us in a place of process, a place where he wants to change us. And we shouldn't be discouraged when we're not doing anything for the Lord, but sometimes God has us doing nothing. He has us just simply waiting. Um, the word tarry in Luke's gospel, chapter 24, he says, tarry in Jerusalem till you've been clothed with power from on high, actually means to wait expectantly. Now, as an evangelist, I don't want to wait expectantly. I want to go. I want to get out there. I want to do something for God. I believe that, and I'll mention this tonight, is that something will happen as we're on the move. It's a move of God. You know, it's a move. Something's going to happen as we, as we move. But sometimes God has, it, has us in the seat uh, and he wants to shape us and he wants to change us. And when you're in that place, don't be discouraged. Just increase your personal time with God. Increase the waiting time with God. Increase the waiting time with God in the private place because God wants to do some deep work. I don't know about you, but if this is the only sphere where God is working on you, sometimes it's going to take a long time for God to get deep down in your heart. Because what I find is when, when someone's preaching uh, and someone's teaching, there'll be one phrase or there'll be something that hits me and then I'll write it down. What I've got to do is take that away and start praying over it. I've got to go deeper. Um, but if you multiply that down by 52 and maybe some prayer meetings in the week, maybe you've got 75 words. And maybe over about 10-year period, you've got 750 phrases that have not went deep in your heart. And I believe that God wants to take what we have on a Sunday and he wants to put it in our private times during the week. And he wants us to go deeper in the things of God. In verse 14, this is where it begins to change. This is where God brings us hope. It says here, later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Now if you do the different passages um, from Matthew's Gospel chapter 28, Luke 24, Mark 16 and the end of John and you read the different aspects of the resurrection, it actually gives you a complete understanding and different experiences. So you're not just reading Mark 16 or, or one element but you're reading everything. Now somewhere in there, if you read Luke, before he ascended to heaven, he blessed them. He blessed them. I don't know what he said, but it reminded me of Jacob when Jacob sat down with his sons and started to bless them individually. And I've got a funny feeling that maybe God started telling, Jesus started telling them. I don't think this may be true. I'm just, just giving an example, a story, just reading into the text and saying maybe he started to tell them what they were going to do. We know that Thomas went to India. And we know that God's got his heart for the nations because he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, the world. In Matthew's gospel, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, the word ethnic. So we know that God wants to reach the nations and he blessed them there. Now we also know that he told them to wait on the Holy Spirit. Now at age 16, I had this experience with God. At 8 to 16, it was mountains and valleys. Now, I don't know if your relationship with God is mountains and valleys. I know certainly in, in the ministry and serving God, we can have great seasons and great times of personal devotion. We can have great times of public ministry. 
And sometimes the great times of public ministry doesn't mean that we have a personal devotional life. It's sometimes there could be times where we're weak in our devotional life, but yet God is blessing the ministry. Sometimes there can be times where God is not blessing the ministry, but our personal devotional life is not refired. I believe that God wants to refire both. And in a meeting in Norwich, in a young people's gathering on a youth camp, a guy was preaching. And I'd not experienced the Holy Spirit in this way. Now, I went to Pentecostal churches, and they preached on the Holy Spirit, and I also went to the Methodist church and the Anglican church. I had a really well-rounded experience of church. And so I knew as a child that church itself was not in, in itself going to work because church is built up of people who are hurt, have gone through difficulty. They're in a process of healing, as the disciples were here. And it says, later he appeared to them. God wants to appear to you tonight. He wants to appear to you in a new way, inside and outside, and he wants to set you free from the things that are hindering you from moving forward with him. Now, I couldn't explain to you, theologically, or even from the scriptures, what was holding me back. I couldn't even explain to you why I was not moving forward. Yeah, I had friends who didn't serve Christ. Yes, I'd never shared the uh, the gospel with anybody at school. I was a private Christian. I went to church. I was a church person. But on that youth camp, a man was preaching and he says, God's called you just like God called David. David had brothers and he was the youngest and God anointed him and, and he preached on that and he just said, if you want to respond to God's call on your life, then come forward. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to go forward. I'm going to go forward. I, I couldn't explain why. And sometimes you should respond to God even though you can't explain why. Sometimes I lift my hand knowing that I was in sin and say, yes, pastor, pray for me. And other times I lift my hand not really knowing whether I'm in sin or righteous or, or whatever. I just lift my hand because I know that the Holy Spirit at that time saying, listen, lift your hand. Lift your hand and rededicate to me. And God can use that. Sometimes you just come forward. You don't even know the reason why you come forward. I was sat probably just where Bruce is sat tonight in the night, about 96, and Colin had called people to church plant. And to be honest, I, I didn't really want a church plant. I hadn't thought about church planting. I don't want to be a pastor. Um, I want to be an evangelist. I want to travel the world. And so that was where I was at, at that time. Probably still probably around that as well. But this desire to preach the gospel, then Colin just said, those who feel the call to church plant. And I thought, I don't really feel the call to church plant, but I feel that I should respond to this altar call. I feel I should respond. And I went there, and as I went there, I lifted my hands, and out of everybody in the queue, Colin was the one who prophesied over me and gave me a word. And I'd encountered something from God that day, and I wrote it down. And the only way I can go through that is that you just respond to God. If God tells you to respond to him, then you respond to him. He's going to give you something. Now, I actually have a heart for church planting today. I believe that small seed has been working its way deep in my heart. I believe that church planting and church growth, if we're going to see the church grow, churches need to be planted and leaders need to be raised up. And that needs to be 12 people in a line encountering the Holy Spirit. These disciples who were discouraged, they had to go through this process and difficulty, but something needed to happen to them. Yesterday, I had a reunion with the Saturday Praise Party team. Some of them had just moved on and they've been... Uh, a lot of them were at Harry's funeral about five years ago, and it's his memorial tomorrow, one of our former worship leaders who went to heaven. And uh, we just sat around the table, and we talked about good times, and it was quite therapeutical, to be honest. And we were just saying what God was doing, and what God did, and how we really encountered God. And a lot of the team said, we really encountered God at that time. And I think to myself, the only reason that I even started the praise party it, at all was when I walked down Greenford, where, I, where I'd lived, and I walked to Greenford, and I said to God, God, we used to have this tabernacle with 3,000 people in it, and I used to preach when the lights were off to 3,000 empty seats in the dark. I was only 19, and I would just let rip to these empty seats of preaching faith. A couple of years later, we didn't have the building, and so I was praying this prayer, God, why did we lose that building? Well, aren't you going to give us another one? And I felt just a phrase coming into me, and it was, well, what are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? Well, what are you going to do about it? We're having this conversation. And I felt, this is my prayer. What's God going to do about that? And I felt, well, what am I going to do about that? What's my responsibility? And I felt, God said to me, well, what are you going to do? And I thought about Saturdays. And I thought on Saturdays, people walk by KT and the building's shut. 
And so people are at the bus stop and they walk past the Notting Hill Gate and nothing happens. So why can't we just launch something on a Saturday that includes worship, includes evangelism, includes fellowship and brings people in and gets people saved? And so we were just sharing together of how we did that for six years and how the team was changed. A lot of them are leaders in different churches today. I wish they were in KT. I wish they were still moving forward in KT, but they're not. God sends people out and he makes a difference. Should I be discouraged about that? No, I should celebrate. I should celebrate that other people are preaching the gospel. Now, I don't know how many thousands of people who've come through KT, but that not all of them who've ever experienced God in KT will be able to fit into this building. Our impact is far greater than we would ever even begin to understand because people come and they go and they encounter God. Later, he appeared to them, and that's when it changed. And people appeared at the praise party, and people appeared at different services. And I was in that youth meeting, and I responded to God. I had not experienced God in this way. And I came forward, and, and I knelt down at somewhere amongst the crowd. Everyone was standing, and I just knelt down, and suddenly I became so aware, not maybe specific sins, but I, I was aware that I was a sinner. I was aware that I needed God. I, I was aware that I needed to recommit my life to God. I, I was aware of that God was there in an unusual way, and I begin to pour out my heart to God, and I begin to cry, and I begin to weep before God, and I say, God, forgive me. All these years, I've been up and down and up and down and up and down. Here I am again. I want to commit my life to you. And I laid my life down. And I knelt down there for about 20 minutes. And as I knelt down there at the front, it was like Jesus was appearing to me. He was doing something internally in me. And when I stood up out of all that tears and wiped all that snot away, how many people have ever had that? Amen. You wipe the snot away. It's called deliverance. Hallelujah. And it feels good after. Hallelujah. God does something. He brings all that stuff out. He brings it all out. And I, and I remember lifted up. And Bruce mentioned this word last week and something I've been studying about. Emptying is the Greek word kanoa. To empty oneself. And it's like when you repent, God empties you. He empties you. Here he rebuked their unbelief. We don't know if they fell down and had a powerful experience, but he rebuked their unbelief. And something shifted and something changed. And he commissioned them. What, these unbelieving disciples, these discouraged disciples, these emotional freaks who are grieving and finding it difficult. God understands that we're weak. God understands that we go through stuff. And yet, he may not change the stuff that you're going through, but what he will do, he will give you the strength to overcome. Amen? He'll give you the strength to overcome. Hallelujah. And he will increase his anointing. Lest you think that it was you who preached and many got saved. Lest you think it was you who prayed for someone and they got healed. God allows your weaknesses that he would be glorified. Amen. And so I, I remember standing up and I stood up and lifted my hands to God. And I never experienced anything like it. I lifted my hands to God, lifted them up. Now how many people know when you lift your hands, after about five minutes you become conscious of yourself? And the consciousness of yourself, if you don't lift weights, is that you're not strong enough even to lift your own hands. Because you start feeling tired and tired and tired until you start going all the way down and you put your hands in your pockets or whatever you do. Because you can, and then maybe, oh Lord, I'll worship you again. I lifted my hands and this fire just hit my body. I was weeping, I was praying. And I started to speak in tongues. I started to speak in an unusual tongue. And, and, and as it started to flow out of my mouth, the fire just increased and increased and increased. And it was like God was starting to do a, a, an internal operation on me, burning out all the things that were hindering me from a life of being up and down as a Christian. Up and down, up and down, up and down. At camp, on fire, back to school, in sin. At camp, on fire, back to school, in sin. Up and down, up and down. All that stuff that built up over the years, God started to do an internal work. And the fire fell on me, and I just lifted my hands and saying words like, God, I surrender to you. I surrender to you. I surrender to you. I give my life to you. I give my life to you. And as this fire hit me, for one hour I felt this fire. One hour. I knew, in a sense, that God had appeared to me, that God had done something. He had done some sort of divine moment that was going to define my life, something that I was going to remember. Now, God doesn't just offer these on tap, does he? He doesn't just offer these divine moments on tap. Because if he did, you'd all be having these divine moments tonight and being caught up in glory. But he 
gives you them in specific seasons of your life, and he doesn't give you them because he wants you to seek him more. Amen? And he doesn't want you to rely on these experiences, but they're milestones in your life, and you go back and say, that was the day I was changed. And I know that that was the day I was changed because when I turned around after that moment, the lights were getting switched off by the caretaker. Everybody had packed up. I didn't even know what had happened. I turned around, and there was nothing there except the caretaker switching the lights off. I was in a bit of a daze. I knew that something unusual had happened. And I went back to the coach, and I sat down on the coach, wiped my snot away. The lady next to me, who's married to a good friend of mine, she said to me, what's wrong with you? I said, I don't know. I was just dazed. And I went back. And I went back to my sleeping bag, because that's what we were doing at Youth Cup. We had sleeping bags. Didn't even have beds. Have sleeping bags. And I remember sitting there thinking, I know that something's happened to me. I know that something's happened to me. See, when that change happens, when God shifts some stuff, the stuff that's built up over the years, then you feel free. I remember going back to my class, and I was at my A-level class, and I remember turning around to some of the guys. And as I turned around, I started telling them about what God's been doing in my life. And this was the time at the Toronto Blessing time where people were getting filled with God. And there was great manifestations. And people's lives were being changed. It was like, it was like God wasn't there. It was like he wasn't there. It was just church. It was normal. But then during the Toronto Blessing and during that time where churches begin to say, God, we welcome you. And we give space for you. And people start to encounter God. It's like God began to manifest his presence. And lives started to be changed. And it was like, wow, there really is a Holy Spirit. There really is. God really does something today. Wow, God is really alive. And he still changes lives. And I remember turning around to one of my friends and telling them, listen, you need to know about Jesus. You need to know about Jesus. Jesus has changed my life and he can change your life. And I remember getting caught up in this debate between evolution I didn't know the answers. I was like a rock filer. I was just ready for a fight, an argument. I was fired up. I had passion. God had done something in my life. And it starts there. And we've got stuff that we need to learn and progress on. But it starts there because God changes you and then he commissions you. Amen? He changes you, then he commissions you. He appeared to the disciples. He rebuked that hardness of heart, removed that stuff. And then he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world. It requires movement. Jesus got frustrated in Luke's gospel, chapter 4, when the people start to say, hey, why don't you just stay here, Jesus, around just us, and we'll, we'll be nice and happy. You said the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, and we've seen you in Capernaum casting demons out, and we've seen you healing some people, and it's just amazing. It's just awesome. Will you just stay with us? And something rose up in Jesus and said, no, no, no. I need to preach Elsewhere, I need to go somewhere else. I need to do some other stuff. God's called me to preach in the other cities. See, Jesus is a Jesus that's on the move. And he goes down to, to Nain and he raises a young man from the dead and he, and he goes to different places and there's different miracles happening. But what does that tell you? It means that there's miracles in certain places. There's miracles in Pacific villages. There's miracles in Pacific towns. But if we don't go to those towns, if we don't go to those houses, if we don't go to those places then those miracles won't happen. If all we do is say, hey, God's in KT. God's here. This is, this is it. This is the Jerusalem. Now, if you read Acts chapter 1 to verse 7, you'll see that when the Holy Spirit hit in the book of Acts and they waited, they had a revival. 3,000 people got saved. Then 5,000 people. And it became what I call a holy clique. About 10,000 plus people meeting together in the Jerusalem church. And for seven whole chapters of the book of Acts, it was just all about them. And it began to change at the moment of Stephen's death. There was a change. Because in Acts chapter 6, what was happening, they would just begin to argue about bread and food. And we don't blame the women. Maybe it was the men, but there was an argument between the men and the women, how the women weren't getting food. And they began to argue about this stuff. And it was no longer about gospel preaching. It was about, hey, we want our food. And the Jerusalem church became about themselves. And it... And that's fine because you go there, you win the lost, and you start a church, and it becomes a holy community and a holy gathering. And that church begins to impact this community. But what happens is it becomes stagnant after a while, and it loses its fire, and it no longer influences the place. 
the God permits the shaking. The persecution comes, and then Philip is on the scene who's been serving God, and what happens in Acts 8? He goes down to Samaria, and there's a revival. Demons are cast out. No longer arguing about bread, no longer arguing about food, no longer arguing about clothing. He's Philip, he's on a journey, casting out demons, and Samaria hears the gospel. Why? Because Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to every creature. He commissions them. He commissions them because he believes in them, amen? He commissions them because he spent three and a half years with them. He commissions them because he has a relationship with them. Jesus, it says in John 2, he didn't commit himself to people because he knew what was inside people. But Jesus knows what he's placed in you. And what he's placed in you is good enough to bring the gospel to other people. Because guess what? I can't reach the people that you are called to reach. Only you can reach them. And God wants to anoint you to reach them. And so he wants to do a work in you and he wants to recommission you to go out and make a difference. So in Acts 8, it all kicks off. And then from Acts 9, it's all Saul. Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, and suddenly it's all Paul from there on revival, healing, miracles, prison, visions, all from there. And there's an explosion in northern Africa. There's an explosion in southern Europe. There's an explosion in the nations. And I believe that's still the plan of God for a church like KT, amen? It's still the plan of God. 119 different nations brought into this house. Why as God brought the nations to this house. I can think of one reason. So he equips you. He strengthens you. You encounter him and you get sent out into all the world, maybe back to your country, to do a work for him. Many people have done that. I think of a friend called Kozilat who used to be on the church board here in Samoa making a difference for God. And there's other people out there making a difference for God. He knows you can do it. He gives you the authority. He gives you the power. He says, you're my ambassadors. And he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, what needs to change? What needs to change is we need a bigger vision. We need a bigger vision. A friend of mine, he kept irritating me last year, and he said, you need to get a bigger circle. You need to get a bigger circle. What? I need a bigger circle. Yes, you need to get a bigger circle. And he gave an example of a husband and wife. When a husband and wife come together, either the wife wants to curtail the husband or the husband wants to curtail the wife. But either what happens is it all becomes about them. And life revolves around them, revolves around their kids. And eventually they don't make an impact for God because what happens, it becomes all about them. What do they do? They create their own Jerusalem. They create their own community. Everything's revolving around them and they're no longer on the edge of what God's doing because it's all about them. And he was saying to me, God needs to change that. God wants to use the husband still. And he wants to use the wife. And he wants to use that family to bring the gospel to the world. He wants you to make a difference for him. And so I started to research this M16 revival. I could have called it Mark 16 revival. But I called it M16 revival. I just thought it was no reason. It was just a catchy title. And so there's no real reason for that. So M16 revival. And then I thought, oh, let me Google M16 then and find out what the M16 is all about. I thought it was a motorway in Manchester. And so, it, but it wasn't, it was, it was a motorway in 1975. Small little motorway, not far from my house, where I've moved in Watford, in South Mims, from South Mims to Potter's Bar, there was a road called the M16. And I want Michelle, if she can, to put the first picture up, number one. Here, here it is. It runs from South Mims all the way down to Potter's Bar. That's the M16. And, and it was going to be turned into a ringway. The ringway was going to run from South Mims all the way to Dartford. And that was going to be the first ringway. And so they made plans to, to do this ringway. If we can have the next slide, Michelle, that'd be great. And so they were going to make this into this ringway that went all the way down to, to Dartford. And sometimes our life can revolve around just M16. That's, that's what God wants to do in our life. That, that's what we're happy with. That's what we're called to do. Uh, and they were going to expand it a little bit. But suddenly, I don't know whether it was God messed up the plans or it was the London mayor who didn't exist at that time or something like that. But they came out with a better plan. They came out with a bigger plan. And instead of calling it the M16, let's go to the next slide. They called it the M25. They changed this ring road. This ring road that was planned all the way to Dartford no longer was going to be in existence. And it was going to become the M25. And I believe what God's saying to us tonight through this, just this little word, M16. We can become an M16. 
we can be happy. And maybe we can extend a little bit to Dartford. But often God has a bigger vision and a bigger plan to extend us all the way around the city. Is this not the vision that God had commissioned the church in the very beginning to say London and the world for Jesus Christ, amen? London and the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I believe that in this revival, in this move of God, there's going to be a recommissioning of the vision and the blueprint by which God has given us. This morning, I can't explain this, and I don't want to quantify it, but I'm just going to say it. I was sat there where Gable sat, and I pictured Reinhard Bonker get on the platform. Reinhard Bonker, I thought, what was that about? And the only way I can explain it is this week, I've been praying about evangelism, about Reinhard, and I've been praying about George Jeffries. I've been praying about that miracle anointing. I've been praying about that. And I thought, when Reinhard got on the platform... What I felt was is that God was saying to me personally, you need to believe again for that George Jeffries anointing. Now, I'm not just getting George Jeffries anointing. God's got an anointing for us at this time. But you know what I'm saying? To dig up that well and believe that we could go around. Let's put that M25 back on, Michelle. Thank you. To go around the M25 and bring the gospel. And not just the M25, but the rest of the UK. Can we have the last slide, Michelle, if you can? Thank you. This is another slide. Look at what God had done. He turned the M16 into the M25 that has junctions going out and routes going out to everywhere. And I believe that that's what God has planned for the church. He wants to change the church in such a way. Now, if you go to Mark 16, verses 1 to 13, and you're in that, you know it's not going to happen because you're in grief. You're in emotion. You're in unbelief. You're in difficulty. You're in process. But when you get to verse 14 and Jesus suddenly appears... And he takes you out of unbelief and out of sin and he puts you back in your identity and the call of God upon your life. Then he recommissions you. And when he recommissions you, he says, this is what I've called you to do. I've called you to get a bigger circle, amen. Get a bigger circle, not just your husband and wife, not your husband and wife and your three children at the back, Judah, Anna, Joy, and Joel who are behind me and Torian, they're in the back room and I'm preaching to them, amen. But God wants to use us to reach the world, Amen. He wants to, us to reach the world. Missions that never been pioneered. Now, Colin being in secret locations and, and, and the stories today that we've, we've heard, you know, those are passions inside of him that want to get out and bring the gospel to the unreached. When Lewis himself was in, in Lebanon and Victor was telling me when he was here in November about how Wynn was out there in dodgy and dangerous places before he, when he was here in KT. And KT's always had that DNA to get out. And if you're here in KT, you're on dangerous ground, amen? Because God could be calling you to do that. God could be calling you to be a missionary. God could be calling you to go out. And there's nothing much more exciting than going to unreached places. Getting a bigger vision. Getting a bigger circle. Now, we know over the last 25 years there's been churches planted all over the M25, all over London. London is saturated with churches. Do we need more churches? Maybe not, but we do need more missionaries and we do need more evangelists and we do need more people who will tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll finish with this. I believe evangelism, in my life as well as your life, it doesn't work when we're not working with God. It says in verse 20, the Lord worked with them. The Lord worked with them. Think about that for a few moments. The Lord worked with them. So there was a time where God wasn't working with them. The Lord worked with them. That word work is the word synergy. It's the word synergy, working together. It's the same word as James 2, It says faith and action work together. It's the working together of faith and action. That means faith without action is dead. So without the working of God, faith is dead. Without action, without the working of God, and evangelism without God, or preaching the gospel without God is dead, it's ineffective. But with God, without, with God working, when we become obedient to him again, when the gospel is revived, the good news, the gospel, the evangelion, the gospel, the good news, when we become gospel messengers again, because God has done something internally in us, he shook all that emotion, all that stuff out of us, and he's brought us to the point of repentance and holiness. And then he recommissions us and says, hey, I believe in you again. I believe, I've always believed in you. I believe in my word I've spoken over your life. But I've been doing a work internally inside of you and I'm about to do a work 
through you, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes in me will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. These signs will follow those who believe. And I believe that great miracles are going to happen. Amen? I believe great miracles are going to happen because, number one, God is the one who works the miracles. We are not. Great miracles are going to happen because miracles point to the gospel. They confirm the gospel. The word, babayao, it's the word confirming. It means give a guarantee. So God gives a guarantee to the gospel through signs and wonders. We do not worship the sign or the wonder or the angel or the oil, but we say, hey, God's in our midst. Therefore, the gospel is genuine and the gospel is real because God is working in us and through us. Amen? Let's just give Jesus praise tonight. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I'd like the musicians to come back. I know I've spoken a bit more longer and it was a bit longer prayer. But I want you to just listen to a few moments as you bow your head in prayer. Think about these things. Do you need to get a bigger circle in your life? Has life become just about you, your job, and what you're doing? And that might be nice for a while, God may permit that for a while as he permitted the disciples to go through the stuff that they were going through. But then he appears to them. And he commissions them to do something. And he says, hey, get a bigger circle. Get a world vision. Get a global vision. Go into all the world, all the cosmos, and preach. Caruso, shout out. Speak out the gospel. Become my ambassador. Represent me. Proclaim the gospel to the whole world. Get a bigger circle tonight. Get a bigger vision. Embrace what God's doing. So right now, at the sound of my voice, ask God, what can you do? What can I do, Lord? Where's the building? Where's the stuff that we're going to do? Where's it? Well, what are you going to do, God? Well, God's saying tonight, what are you going to do then? What can you do? You can pray. What can you do? You can step out. What can you do? You can talk to people. You can share the gospel. And as you share the gospel and you're faithful and sharing for people, one of the things that God has been ministering to me about is, is our motive. Our motive. What's our motive? What's our motive? To preach in the gospel. I can think of only one motive. There's plenty of motives. You can think hell, judgment of God. You can pull out some things, the cross, and you can the resurrection. But I want to just pull out one tonight. The love that God has for the world. M16, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Do we believe that tonight? That itself will bring a revival. That itself will bring the gospel. That itself, God loves the cosmos. Jesus loves the world that he came from heaven down to the earth to save the lost. Romans 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to those who Believe. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not going to be quiet anymore. When we love, the love of Christ compels us. We've got to speak. We've got to chat. We've got to pray for people. We've got to ask God for wisdom and guidance as we share. I'm not talking about getting on a seat in the bus and shouting out. God can change people. God can work through you. That's a move of God as the presence of God that's touched you tonight will go out of this building and go into the cosmos, will go into the world and begin to change lives. There was a man who was in the Leicester Square and his friend was saying, don't listen to those preachers, just walk away. Walk away. And one of the friends of mine, she just said, I arrest you in the spirit. I take charge over your soul. And she prayed intensely just for two minutes. God was on that prayer 
and that man, something changed in his heart. He pushed his friend away and he, and he ran forward. He was weeping like a baby. He said, he said, I need to be saved. I need you to pray with me. I believe what you're saying. We were so shocked we didn't know what to do. He was weeping. He was convicted. Who by? The preaching? His friend? By God. God did something in his heart. God worked a work in his heart and changed him just on that moment, just on that spot. That's a move of God. Conviction of sin. And if you're in this place tonight, I'm going to pray a prayer. And maybe you were invited by a friend. And you don't know Christ and you don't know his forgiveness. But tonight you know you've not been experiencing him. You've not invited him into your heart. Maybe you're even religious. You've experienced church, but you've not experienced Christ. And I want to pray a prayer tonight. It's a simple prayer of forgiveness. And if you need his forgiveness, and you're saying, Christian, I want to commit my life to Christ tonight. I know he's calling me. Just as he called you, I'm going to pray this prayer. And if you want Christ in your heart, I want you to pray this prayer in your own heart. Say these words in your own heart after me. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I come to you right now, and I admit that I need you. I've been to church, but I've not experienced you. I've been going through the motions. I've not experienced you. But today, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Today, I believe you died on the cross and you rose again on the third day. And I believe you rose again and you appeared to your disciples. And I ask you to appear to me today. Come into my heart right now. I choose to follow you from this moment onwards. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me. If that's you right now and you prayed that prayer and you want Christ in your heart, I want to pray with you and you want his forgiveness, I want you just to lift your hand high right now and say, yes, Christian, pray for me. I want Christ to forgive me. I want Christ's forgiveness. Lift it high right now across this place. You're saying, pray for me, Christian. I need Christ in my life. Lift it high. Thank you. Lift it high. When you lift that hand, you're not just lifting it to me, you're lifting it to heaven. And there's something happens. You lift your hand and God says, yes. You're responding. Moses turned to the bush. And when he turned... He heard the voice, Moses, Moses. Turn to him tonight in your own heart. Say, yes, I want Christ in my life. Two guys at the back of the back. Lift your hand right now. Lift your hand high. You in this place, and maybe you need to recommit your life to Christ as I did at that camp. Lift it high right now and say, yes, that's me. I want to recommit my life to Christ tonight. Thank you, Father. Those who lifted your hand, I just want you to stand on your feet if you can. Those who lift your hands, just stand, if you can, right now, on your feet. I'm not going to call you forward tonight to stand, and I'm going to pray with you. Let God do His work. That's it, stand. If you want to be included in this prayer, you stand as well. Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Lift your hands tonight and your heart to God. Lord, we pray. You're on this lady here, Father, in the middle, Father God. I pray that you would just release your presence upon her, Father. Just as you did to the disciples, you take them out of grief. Take them out of stuff, the things that attach the world. Take the world out, Lord, and put God in. And so they can go out into the world and make a difference for you. Father, complete the work you're doing. Make them born again, even tonight, Father God. Let them bring to the, to the point of repentance and change. Let them join a good group of ladies or, or guys who will help them move forward in the things of God. And Father God, I pray they'll become strong. What you've done even at this time, your presence here, you do such a deep work in their hearts that this wouldn't be a superficial commitment. It wouldn't just be a prayer that they prayed because a minister said, repeat. It'll be a deep work. It'll be a genuine work. It'll be a healing work. And you would commission them, saying, God has a destiny for you. He has a plan for you. And as he removes your unbelief tonight, he says, go, go, move, go into the world. Make a difference. Go this week and share with your friends and bring them back next week. They say, come to this church. Come to KT. Come, come. Because the best evangelists are those who've just recently given their lives to the Lord. Don't be ashamed. Just go out. Well, I'm not gifted. Well, no, we, nobody's gifted. God is the one who's gifted. He gifts you. He uses you. Lord, I even pray that as you complete the work you've started in them, that you, Father, would enable them to go out and be bold and be strong to share and invite 
family members, brothers and sisters. They'll come back whether in the morning services or in the week and we'll see people getting saved like a domino effect, a domino revival, a domino effect, Father God, where souls and souls and souls and souls and souls are getting saved. Lord, we give you praise. We give you praise. We give you praise. Just stay there for a moment right now. There's going to be some people spending some time with you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. As we finish in a few moments, if you feel a particular calling tonight to the mission field, or as a missionary, I'm not saying you're going to go now. I'm not saying that God's going to send you to China. But you know in your heart that God's calling you to be a missionary. He's calling you to preach the gospel in the world. In the world. You may not even have a nation. Reinhard Bonker, when he encountered God, he knew that God would send him to Africa. That was a continent. You might have a general continent that you're going to. You don't even know the place you're going to. But you have that calling. I want you to stand right now. I want to pray with you before we finish tonight. You have that calling. Call to the mission field. Call to the nations. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Does someone have the, the call to China? I know I mentioned that, but does someone actually literally have that call to China tonight? Carol. Anybody else? That must be you. Thank you, Lord. Let's just pray right now. Because going on the mission field is not, we're not, it's no joke. It's serious business and there's serious preparation to be done. But God is calling you, calling you to go. He's calling you to go. And for some of you, he's calling you to prepare, to prepare, to prepare to go and to go. So Father God, I ask you tonight, in the name of Jesus, the Father, those who've honestly stood tonight, you would do a work in their lives, you prepare them and get them ready to go. And there's people waiting for them. I ask you that you'll show them the missions organizations and the churches and the places that they're supposed to go. I pray that you'd look after every step and every decision that they're supposed to make. I pray that you'd bring every finance that they need for the mission field in the name of Jesus, that other people would hear the gospel because of their sacrifice and their willingness to go, Father God. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your spirit upon them and that they would experience something of this new move in their hearts. And as that new move hits them, it would prepare them for their future in you, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we give you the praise and we give you the glory and we give you the honor and we give you the thanks in Jesus' name. You may be seated, those. And I want to just say, never get discouraged on the evangelism of three. There was a guy in my house yesterday and he just said to me, when I was in KT, I had a guy on my evangelism of three and I prayed for him and nothing happened. And, um, but 18 months ago, his wife called me and they were in crisis because he's not saved and there was a crisis in their marriage and she just recently got saved and there was a crisis between both of them and she was just broken. He didn't say what was going to happen. Maybe they were going to get a divorce. Maybe they had a fight. I don't know what was happening, but there was some serious pain. He said, don't worry, I'm going to come. I'm going to come and see you tomorrow. If we can hold up by tomorrow. So he went all the way down from near where I live in north part of London, all the way down to south part of London. Down the M25. Hallelujah. Amen. Just thought I'd add that in. And he sat with her and he ministered to her and he told her that God loves her. In a broken state, he just said, God loves you. God has a plan for you. Despite this situation, this breakup, this stuff that you're going through with your husband, despite that, God's got a plan for you and he ministered to her. Well, he got a chance to talk to the guy as well. And he prayed for him. He didn't think that anything happened out of that prayer. But God started to heal that relationship. God started to heal that marriage. And then she called him and he said, never guess what, we found a local church. And as the story goes on 18 months later. From that moment of crisis to 18 months later, he now became one of the leaders in that church because he gave his life to the Lord. And he got baptized in that church. And he said, they encouraged me. He said, you know what? In a moment of crisis, see, God sometimes brings you to a moment of crisis not to break you and discard you, but to change you. He brings you to crisis 
And he puts Christ there and he starts to turn things around. And he turned that crisis into a testimony. And he said to me, never get discouraged praying for people in your life who don't know Christ. You don't know when they will get saved. Your responsibility is to pray for them. My responsibility is to pray for them. We don't know. See, outcome is up to God. We don't dictate outcome. We cannot dictate a revival. If we could dictate a revival, we could just do it now. Let's have a revival. But there you go, nothing happened. It's, it's up to God. God dictates outcome. Our responsibility is to be faithful to the Scriptures, to be faithful to God. Keep praying. Don't be discouraged. Keep pressing in. Keep sharing with your family. Small seed after small seed after small seed. Put that seed there, allow it to grow, and eventually that seed will crack that wall. It will grow deep into the wall of resistance. And that small seed that you keep sowing will eventually bring that whole wall down. See, who brought down the wall of Jericho? Was it Joshua? Was it Joshua's shout that brought down the wall of Jericho? Was it the fact that he marched around six days? Was it the fact that he marched around seven days? Was it the fact the trumpet sound? Who brought down the wall of Jericho? Well, Joshua's job was obedience, and his job was to shout, and his job was to get the army ready. But who blew, who blew it down? God. God brought down. Did God need Joshua? No, he didn't. Did he need him to shout? No, he didn't. But he, he needed him to be obedient, and he needed him to go through process, and he needed to test him. So sometimes God is saying that, listen, will you be obedient? Will you look silly? Will you do something strange like walking around and marching around and marching around? God has no problem saving people. It's his job to save. It's our job to share. Amen? Start by sharing. Don't even share the gospel. Just share. Share with people stories about your life. Ask them about stories about their life. Find out about them. And then use those stories that they repeat back to you or you share with them. Use them as opportunities for the gospel. Find out where they are. Then ask them to pray. Can I pray with you? I'm a Christian. Can I pray with you? A guy came forward in church. He believes God's calling him in healing. He prayed for a lady at work who couldn't get pregnant. He said, I believe that God's using me in healing. He prayed for that lady, and nine months later, she had a baby. Nine months later, she had a baby. And he said, I believe God's using me. And I said, listen, he's now got four or five people queuing up and knocking on his desk and saying, I believe that, I believe that you can heal me. Will you pray for me? And he hasn't prayed for them as yet because he doesn't know what to do because he doesn't want to get sacked from his job. He's asking God for wisdom. So he can't say, well, listen, just ask God for wisdom. And if, he, if they ask for prayer, then just pray for them and see if God does it again. So step out and just simply believe him that that which we have in this building, the presence of God, we take into the week and we make a difference for him. Amen? Amen. Let's give him praise tonight. Can we finish with a song?